Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> this is very strange, everyone. Yes, uh, we are um, doing the social distancing thing, and we are being good, uh, and we are talking to each other via Skype. Um, for the first time, I think in our in our entire friendship, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've never needed yeah. to be on Skype. No, no. I mean, we still don't get a, don't get us wrong. We still talk to each other every day, and we still physically see each other uh, more often. Uh, only because um, we're within walking distance of each other's houses, and we stand uh, on the street and wave to each other. <laughs> Um, in fact, I was just over at your house dropping off some hand sanitizer today. Ah, oh, thank you. Yes, you're so welcome. And Steve made some clotted cream, which was uh, a surprisingly easy and extremely delicious snack. Um, so we can share that recipe for you all. Because what are you doing? <laughs> Stay tuned uh, for, for Steve's <laughs> clotted cream recipe after this episode. <laughs> after this episode, await yourself. Await it with bated breath because it is very delicious and extremely easy. Um but uh, yeah, so this is, please bear with us. This will be um, an interesting time in our <laughs> podcast history. Uh, but yeah, so hopefully this will go well. Yeah. And off Whatever. of that, we hope everybody's doing well. We hope everybody's staying oh, yeah. healthy and safe mm-hmm. and following all of the prescribed guidelines for everything. Yes, your, very um, important. Your groups of people that you know that are um, immunocompromised or elderly mm-hmm. or in other um, groups are thankful for all of the all of the measures that we're all putting into place. So yes, exactly. Yeah, and you're listening to us. I mean, because again, what else are you doing? So uh- <laughs> new T-shirt slogan: misinformation. <laughs> what else are you doing? What else are you doing? Come on. Uh, so. Uh, you have a uh, a great topic for us today. I do. Which I'm very Once again, about. going back to talk about what you know. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And it's very related to what we're kind of all doing with our um, with our self-isolating. Uh, I'm sure a lot mm-hmm. of are playing a lot of board games. A lot of us are kind of mm-hmm. getting back to basics and seeing what's on the old the old shelf over there, seeing what games we have. Um, and I'm sure that almost every single person has a copy mm-hmm. of the game Monopoly, but is refusing to play it because uh, because of various reasons. And we'll get into that later. Sure. So anyway, um, this is a topic that I have, I have learned a lot about at my work at the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, New York. Um, today, we're going to be talking about playing with Monopoly money. All right. So every, everybody at this point in America, especially, mm-hmm. and probably the world, yeah is very is familiar with the board game monopoly yes so um but we're going to talk about the history of the game first so great history of monopoly can be traced back to 1903 when an american woman named elizabeth (gasps) or lizzie maggie created a game which she hoped would explain the single tax theory of henry george 
So at the oh. time, Maggie was working as a typist and a stenographer for the U.S. government, but she also wrote poetry and short stories. Um, she was also an actress appearing in local theatrical performances, and she Ooh. also patented a device that modified typewriters to be able to accept various sizes of paper. So she had her fingers in a lot of um, in a lot of different pots. So yeah, she was a busy gal. She was a busy gal, and she was very smart. So she created mm-hmm. this game. It was intended as an educational tool to illustrate the negative aspects of concentrating land in private monopolies and to publicize the social pitfalls of unequal wealth among people. So the object of her game was essentially to show that rents enriched property owners and impoverished tenants. Uh- okay. Wow. So she took out a patent on this game in 1904, and um, it was self-published beginning in 1906, and the game was called The Landlord's Game. So, though again, her aim was to show the evils of private ownership of land, but the game took kind of a radical twist when players of the game were, like, delighting in collecting huge piles of money and property and, like, getting (laughs) excited over their opponent's financial troubles. So um, she told a reporter in 1906 that, quote, In a short time, I hope a very short time, men and women will discover that they are poor because Carnegie and Rockefeller, maybe, have more money than they know what to do with. So kind of parallels some of these things that we're seeing nowadays, too. But I'm astounded that this was a game that started out (laughs) as like a democratic socialist dream where it was like, the landlords, they shouldn't own any of that stuff. And people were like, ha capitalism though. We love it. <laughs> but, but it's fun to get piles of money and to beat your <laughs> friends. So, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so college students um, learned about this game through like economics professors and they began playing the yeah. game with very different rules. So um, they made ga- they made rules that the richest player would actually win the game and everybody else would lose the game. There were several variant board games based on her concept that were developed from 1906 through the 1930s, and they all involved both the process of buying land for its development and the sale of undeveloped property. Cardboard houses were added and rents increased as they were added to a property. So Maggie again patented the game in 1923 after her original patent had expired in 1921. So there's the next phase of this game. So the original game came out in 1906, but The game initially circulated by word of mouth and was informally named Monopoly. So people made their own boards and cards and pieces so that they could play it at home. Um, Again, it was taught in economics classes and colleges and people made their own versions of the game to play at home um, because there weren't, you know, maybe at this time, maybe you didn't have a lot of money. It was something that you played Mm -hmm. before and you're like, oh, I can, you know, I have cardboard. I can draw on a board and we can play this game at home ourselves. So this was concentrated mainly in the mid-Atlantic states, but it was popular enough that Elizabeth Maggie, who then got married to Andrew Phillips and became known as Lizzie Maggie Phillips, she realized that she needed to repatent the game to regain control over the various homemade or folk art versions out there of the game. Mm, So a New York-based publishing company sold the landlord game all along the East Coast, often modifying the board to reflect specific cities. And by the 1930s, most versions of that game were based on Atlantic City, with spaces named after local streets such as Park Place and the Boardwalk. I see. Okay. That makes sense now. I can see it starting to, like, form. Yeah. It's, it's like... um, modifying itself as other people are playing it and passing it down mm-hmm. kind of like a, a folk story like folk art yeah exactly that's wild i had no idea so in comes the name that you might associate um 
most with this game, Charles Darrow. So Charles Darrow was an unemployed plumber um, looking for income. He formally became the first official marketer of Monopoly. So he wasn't the inventor necessarily, as people may mistakenly call him. So members of a Philadelphia Quaker game group taught Darrow the game. The version which he first saw used the Atlantic City, New Jersey street names. Darrow instantly loved it and constructed his own board and set. So sidebar, if you've been to the Strong Museum in recent years, you have been able to view Darrow's original homemade game board on display. Um, And what's so unique about this is the board itself is round. So you're probably used to seeing the square square game board but the round Mm -hmm. board was created to fit his dining room table so that you know he could he could create the game on his table which was round he drew and he painted the oilcloth board he produced the paper property cards um, and his family Mm. added their own charms or figures to use as game tokens so charles darrow produced what may have been thousands of copies of monopoly at his own expense a friend printed oh, the wow. lines on the board and Darrow and his family hand colored them and they typed up the cards. He used wood molding, um, like what you might see at like a baseboard or, mm-hmm. you know, that you might use in handiwork. Um, he used wood molding to make the houses. And later on, he ended up making a board that would roll around a wooden dowel. So it was like on oil cloth and then it would actually like roll up like a canvas. Um, He added a printed label to boxes that were used for selling neckties. And he peddled these games at Philadelphia's Wanamaker's department store, as well as Gimbel's and then FAO Schwartz. So these versions are known as tie box monopoly sets by game historians and collectors because they are like the size of (laughs) the size of the box is what you would give your, you know, your dad a a tie in for Father's Day. And it was a wooden dial in the middle with the with the game board rolled around it. And then the pieces also Mm -hmm. in the box. So it was like long and thin. Yes. Box. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So um, there these new sets, they retained a misspelling, which is comes up at trivia a lot. Um, Marvin Gardens, which is a square on the Monopoly board, um, is mm-hmm. misspelled as M-A-R-V-I-N Gardens. Um, the actual Atlantic City landmark of it is M-A-R-V-E-N. Oh, okay. They also renamed the Shore Fast Line Train to the Short Line Train. And mm-hmm. after the demand for the game increased, Darrow contacted a printing company, which printed the designs of property spaces on square carton boards. So Darrow's game board designs included elements that were later made famous in the version eventually produced by Parker Brothers, including black locomotives on the railroad spaces, the car on free parking, the red arrow on go, the faucet on waterworks, the light bulb on electric company, and then the question marks for the chance spaces. Mm, okay. Darrow first took the game to Milton Bradley and attempted to sell it as his personal invention, and they rejected it in a letter from May 1934. Then Darrow sent mm. the game to Parker Brothers in 1934, and they rejected the game as, quote, too complicated, too technical, and it took too long to play. So his rejection yeah. letter from Parker Brothers <laughs> said October 1934. <laughs> But in early 1935, the company heard about the game's excellent sales during the Christmas season of 1934 in Philadelphia and at FAO Schwartz in New York City. So Robert Barton, who was president of Parker Brothers, contacted Darrow and scheduled a new meeting in New York City. And in March of that year, Parker Brothers bought Darrow's game, helped him take out a patent on it, and purchased his remaining inventory. 
Mm. Um, the following month, though, by April 1935, the company had learned that Darrow was not the sole inventor of the game, but sought out an hmm. affidavit by Darrow to repeat his statements to the contrary and bolster their claim to the game. Parker Brothers subsequently decided to buy out Elizabeth Maggie's 1924 patent and copyrights of other commercial variants of the game so that they could claim that they had sole undisputed rights to it. Okay. And hmm. Maggie eventually sold her patent to Parker Brothers for $500, um, kind of consoling herself with the idea that her board game was at least educating the public about economic inequality. Uh, bad news, Mag. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Monop- I mean, in a roundabout fashion, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Monopoly was first marketed on a broad scale by Parker Brothers in 1935. Um, the standard edition had a small black box and a separate board, and there was a larger deluxe edition with a box large enough to hold the board. And they were sold within the first year of Parker Brothers' ownership. Parker Brothers sets were the first to include die-cast metal tokens for playing pieces, initially using a battleship, a cannon, a clothes iron, a shoe, a top hat, and a thimble. George Parker himself rewrote many of the game's rules, insisting that short game and time limit rules be included. Okay? Hmm. This is important. (laughs) And on the original (laughs) Parker Brothers board, there were no icons for the community chess spaces and no gold ring on the luxury tax space. There also weren't property values printed on the spaces on the board. Some of the designs known today were implemented at the behest of George Parker. And the chance cards and community chess cards were illustrated, but didn't have the the iconic mascot, Rich Uncle Pennybags, who was introduced Mm. in 1936. In 1937, a Time Magazine article about the game made it seem as though Darrow himself was the sole inventor. And that's kind of how the Hmm. whole, um, the whole legend of him inventing it really got widespread at that point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Parker Brothers shipped the game overseas to its UK partners, John Waddington Limited, which was a printing and packaging company that was beginning to make the move into games. Waddington's was so taken by Monopoly that they immediately licensed it in December 1935 and adapted it to the market by changing the street names to more appropriate streets in London. And the game, which was released in 1936, was an immediate hit in England. Let's talk about World War II. Okay, yeah, is, let's talk about World War II. This is one of the really interesting facets of the Monopoly story. So over the course of World War II, 232,000 Western allies and 5.7 million Soviet soldiers were imprisoned in prisoner of war camps, most of which mm. were located in eastern Germany and Austria, which made for a very long and difficult route back home. A British intelligence officer named Christopher Clayton Hutton came up with an idea for sneaking escape kits into POW camps by using, (gasps) of all things, modified editions of Monopoly. Get out. Hutton worked with Waddington's to develop a special version of the game, which could conceal a silk map, a small compass, a tiny saw, and a file. Waddington's put just a few workers on the project, secluding them in a small room where they used cookie cutter like dies to punch compartments exactly the size of these items into the Monopoly boards, which were about that time like an eighth of an inch thick. Um, today, okay. they're probably about a twelfth of an inch thick. So they were a little they were a little thicker back then. And then they mm-hmm. would glue the game board decal over the board, which had hidden <gasps> compartments in it. And when their job was done, the board was basically indistinguishable from one that anybody else might actually buy in a store. 
Mm-hmm. And after designing his ingenious escape aids, Hutton's greatest challenge was figuring out how to actually get them into camps. He couldn't use Red Cross packages and monthly personal packages sent to POWs by family and friends were out too. But Hutton knew that hundreds of organizations were sending care packages to prisoners of war, and he decided to use that to his advantage. He said, quote, we would hide our escape aids in parcels containing games, sports equipment, musical instruments, books, and articles of clothing. We knew that these voluntary gifts designed for the comfort and entertainment of the prisoners were flooding the camps from hundreds of sources. So he and his team created a bunch of bogus organizations using the addresses of buildings that had been blitzed in London. And a printer made letterheads for the organizations that were littered with quotations that they hoped would act as clues and an inspiration to prisoners. So how would PWs know that there was something concealed in their game boards? Hutton decided to train at least two members of every Air Force squadron in the art of sending hidden messages concealed in ordinary looking letters that were addressed to mom and dad. When the trained men mailed letters back to the UK, those letters were intercepted and given to intelligence officers who steamed them open and took a look at the date. Quote, if it was written out M-A-Y third, the letter was simply resealed and it went to whatever relative it was addressed to. But if the letter's date was numerical, say three slash five slash 43, that said, there's a message here in this letter. Oh my God. This is the coolest thing I have ever heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is so, so cool. So then, you know, <laughs> if you knew that there was something coded in your letter, hopefully at yeah. that point you would, you know you would have been trained in some sort of code mm-hmm. detection, et cetera. So this allowed yeah. intelligence officers and POWs to communicate back and forth. So POWs reported on conditions in the camp, what they might need to escape, and intelligence officers let them know when special packages were coming their way. So the code okay. user would eventually get a letter back from mom or dad that would contain a secret message telling them to, when to expect the shipment and what the parcel might look like. So it wasn't just Monopoly boards that contained tools for the POWs. Um, other amusements mm-hmm. such as cribbage game boards, um, table tennis, chess, baseballs, and even playing cards were used to get escape tools and maps into the POW camps. But the Germans had figured out a number of these. Um, when the hmm. war ended in September 1945, there was just one escape kit that the Germans hadn't discovered, the Monopoly boards. Nice. <laughs> so none That's of the cool. modified boards survived, <laughs> though. Um, the POWs had to destroy the boards that came into the camps. And the role sure, that yeah. the game played wasn't revealed until 1985 when British intelligence declassified documents relating to Hutton's work in MI9. Oh, my God. That is the coolest thing. And wow. according, <laughs> according to Monopoly expert and former Parker Brothers executive Phil Orbanes, who's also a great friend at the Strong Museum, um, at least 744 airmen escaped using aids created and sent to them by British and American intelligence units, including those of the modified Monopoly boards. That is so friggin' flingin' flangin' cool. Yeah. I love that. Why Isn't haven't they made a movie about that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know? good idea. We should we should write a treatment on that. Yeah, we're gonna write. That's gonna be one of our treatments. We're gonna <laughs> add it to the list. So there weren't like a lot of innovations um, in Monopoly until maybe the 1990s. So after mm, 1994, mm-hmm. Parker Brothers began producing versions representing major cities throughout the country. Um, and FYI, Parker Brothers was bought by Hasbro in 1991 for about $516 million. And in 1998, Parker Brothers and Milton Bradley were both consolidated at the new Hasbro Games campus. 
So in 2017, the Hasbro company, which currently owns Monopoly, announced that they were revamping its iconic tokens. They felt that the boot, the thimble, and the wheelbarrow tokens were outdated. So those three tokens were replaced with three other objects based on the results of an online poll. Do you have any recollection of what, of any of the tokens that are new and in the game? I sorry, I know I, I, hate, I know you hate when I do this. No, it's okay. Um, I remember, I remember them doing the the contest or the the voting thing. Mm-hmm. I remember like one of them being something that people were like, "Come on!" I think there was um, like an emoji, like a like Ugh. a funny looking emoji face or something was one of the options which was yeah silly. i remember it was yeah it was like a smile an emoticon or something yeah. like that um i don't remember what are the ones what are the ones that they kept um so they kept like the scotty dog and uh-huh um gosh. they kept the race car right okay they kept the Scotty dog, the top hat, the roadster car, the battleship, mm-hmm. and they added a cat in at one point, too. Yes. Um, yes, I remember the cat. So they got rid of the boot, the thimble, and the wheelbarrow. And I loved the thimble. That was what I always played with. But they replaced them with a rubber duck, a penguin, okay. and a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> Yeah, I think people were like, this is ruining the, yeah. the long-storied uh, historical history of Monopoly. Yeah. Mur, 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 mur. <laughs> so um, obviously there are like hundreds, if not thousands of like licensed versions of Monopoly out there. Yeah. And there's a lot of different variants of Monopoly. Um, I know, for instance, they made one that was like, didn't have any paper money anymore. Like it just used like mm-hmm. a card and um, yeah. there's like, you know, there's lots of versions that are licensed under Monopoly that are like a like a quick play game. So I'm not talking about yeah. any of those. We were talking about like straight up classic yeah. Monopoly. So mm-hmm. talking about the gameplay. So the Monopoly game board consists of 40 spaces containing 28 properties. There are 22 streets that are grouped into mm-hmm. eight color groups. There are four railroads and two utilities. There are three chance spaces, three community chess spaces, a luxury tax space, the income tax space, and the four corner squares, which are go, jail, free parking, and go to jail. Mm -hmm. All property deeds, houses, and hotels are held by the bank until they're bought by the players. A standard set of Monopoly pieces includes... A deck of 32 chance and community chess cards. There are 16 of those each, which players draw when they land on the corresponding squares of the track and they follow the instructions that are printed on them. There's a title deed for each property given to the player to signify ownership and specifying purchase price, mortgage value, the cost of building houses and hotels on that property, and the various rents depending on how developed the property is. The purchase price for properties varies from $60 to $400 on a U.S. Standard Edition set. There are 22 properties that can be built upon. There's a pair of six-sided dice. There are 32 houses and 12 hotels, usually made of wood or plastic. And unlike money, these houses and hotels have a finite supply. If no more are available, no substitute is allowed. And in most editions, Mm -hmm. houses are green and hotels are red. The total amount of money in a standard Monopoly game produced before 2008 is $15,140. There are seven denominations of money. You have 20 $500 bills, which are orange, 20 $100 bills, which are beige, 
30 $50 bills, which are blue, 50 $20 bills, which are green, 40 $10 bills, which are yellow, 45 dollars bills, which are pink, and 41 dollars bills, which are white. And then you finally have the tokens. And again, as of 2017, there are the Scotty Dog, the Top Hat, the Roadster Car, the Cat, the Battleship, Tyrannosaurus Rex, a Rubber Ducky, and a Penguin. Okay. I always played as the Scotty because we had of Scotty course. Dogs growing up, so, <laughs> you know. So, playing the game. Each player mm-hmm. begins the game with his or her token on the go square. You get $1,500 in play money to start. Mm-hmm. Players take turns in order with the initial player determined by chance before the game. The typical turn begins with the rolling of the dice and advancing a piece clockwise around the board, that corresponding number of squares. If a player rolls doubles, they get to roll again after completing that portion of their turn. But if you roll three consecutive sets of doubles on one turn, you've been caught speeding and you're immediately sent to jail instead of moving the amount shown on the dice for the third roll. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Part. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you like the official rules of Monopoly. We are not even like getting anywhere near house rules for games, which that's, oh, yeah. which by the way, that's why people actually hate playing Monopoly because the mm-hmm. more house rules you have that introduce more money into the game, the longer it takes to play. So yeah. So when I talk about like the free parking space, I know my family did it. Your family probably did it. Maybe you tucked a $500 bill under the free parking space when you started the game and Mm. said, if you land on that, you get that money. Well, the more money that you're introducing, again, (laughs) the longer it's going to take to play. So these are like the official Monopoly sanctioned rules. And if you follow those, you can play a game of Monopoly in 45 minutes. Yeah, sure. Um... But, yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if anybody's ever actually played the Monopoly rules following the official Monopoly game. I can't can't recall a time where I've just played the regular ass Monopoly game, bing, bang, boom, in 45 minutes. Because every Monopoly game I've ever played has ended in all of us looking at each other going, I am sick to death of playing this. Can we please stop? I do not care who won. Right, like yeah. it, it lasts forever. So I'm hoping that this actually like inspires people a little. Like if you actually just play following the rules, guys, it's it's actually not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So again, when you start the game, if you land on or pass the go space, you get $200 from the bank. Um, If you land on either the income tax or luxury tax, you have to pay the amount indicated to the bank. Um, So properties can only be developed once the player owns all of the properties in that color group, and they must be developed equally. So a house must be built on each property of that color before a second house can be built. And each property within a group must be within one house level of all the others within that group. So if you owned the three orange squares, you couldn't just start off by putting a hotel on one of them. You would have to build um, a house and then another house, and then another house, and then work your way up until you had the maximum number of houses you could have on that before upgrading to a hotel. So you don't immediately bankrupt everybody that lands on that space. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Again, if a player lands on chance or community chests, you draw the top card from that deck and you follow its instructions. And that may include collecting or paying money to the bank or another player or moving to a different space on the board. A player is sent to jail for doing any of the following, landing directly on go to jail, 
landing three mm -hmm. um, consecutive doubles in one turn and drawing a go-to-jail card from the chance or community <laughs> test. Um, when the player is sent to jail, they move directly to the jail space and their turn ends. If an ordinary dice roll, just not one of the above things I mentioned, um, ends with the player's token on the jail corner, then they're just visiting and they can move ahead on their next turn without incurring any penalty. If a player is in jail, they do not take a normal turn. They must either pay a fine of $50 to be released, use a potential get out of jail free card that maybe they had before from their chance or community chest, or they can attempt to roll doubles on the dice. If the player fails to roll doubles, they lose their turn. <laughs> and failing to oh roll doubles gosh. for three consecutive turns means that the player pays the $50 fine or uses the get out of jail free card. Um, and then they can move ahead according to the total rolled. So you might just decide... I'm just going to pay the $50 fine right now on my yeah. first turn instead of like sitting there and waiting for everybody mm -hmm. to go around the board three times before you can roll and try to get out of there on your own. Um, players in jail may not buy properties directly from the bank since they're unable to move and um, they can engage all other transactions so they can mortgage properties, they can sell and trade properties to other players, um, things like that. And a player who rolls doubles to leave jail doesn't get to roll again properties okay. this is this is this is the tricky part of the game i guess so sure if a player lands on an unowned property whether it's a street a railroad or a utility they can buy the property for its listed purchase price if they decline to buy it the property is then auctioned off by the bank to the highest bidder including the player who declined to buy it so if you're playing and you land on the second purple square and you said, yeah, it's, I don't really care. I don't really want to buy this. Then the bank can say, does anybody want to buy this? And then, you know, Steve could say, yeah, I guess I'll buy it for $10. And if no one else wants to buy it, then it's his for $10. So the auctioning of the properties is something that I feel like um, my family didn't really take advantage of playing. No. But it's a good way to like quickly, for people to quickly Get accumulate properties. Exactly. Yeah. So when a player owns all the properties in a color and none of them are mortgaged, they can develop them during their turn and in between other players' turns. Um, development involves buying miniature houses or hotels from the bank and placing them on the property spaces, again, being done uniformly across the group. If there's a housing shortage, so more demand for houses to be built than what remains in the bank, then a housing auction is conducted to determine who will get to purchase each house. Properties hmm. can also be mortgaged, um, though all developments on a monopoly must be sold before any property of that color can be mortgaged or traded. And the player receives half the purchase price from the bank for each mortgaged property. So if you're like, I'm really low on cash, I own all of the fuchsia properties, um, I'm going to mortgage you know, two of them. And so you get some of the money back from the bank for each property. And then whenever you make more money, you can pay the bank back and then you can flip the card over and it's all yours again. I see. Okay. Because you can't huh. collect rent on mortgaged properties. So if you want to be yeah. earning some money, you it's in your best interest to get those out of there. I'm pretty sure that my family did not take advantage of the mortgage part of any of this mm -hmm. because um, we were too young to really like grasp the concept of a mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So that was that was done away with in a major way, I believe. Yeah. And then finally, <laughs> bankruptcy. I sure. Declare bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. <laughs> so a player who cannot pay what they owe is bankrupt and eliminated from the game. If a bankrupt player owes the bank, they have to turn all their assets over to the bank who then auctions off their properties. 
If the debt is owed to another player instead, all assets are given to that opponent except buildings that have to be returned to the bank. Um, If a player runs out of money but still has assets that can be converted to cash, they can do so by selling buildings, mortgaging properties, or trading with other players. And to avoid bankruptcy, the player must be able to raise enough cash to pay the full amount owed. So as as you're playing, if people are running out of money and they've gone bankrupt, then they're out of the game. That's how... That's how you finish this game early, yeah, basically. Yeah. So yeah, I think we always did a thing that was like tuck $500 under free parking or, oh, if you, mm-hmm. you know, you have to, we had a, I think we had a rule that you had to go all the way around the board one time before you could start buying anything, which I don't know why oh, we did that weird. either. Because again, <laughs> the faster you can buy and accumulate properties, <laughs> yes, exactly. the faster the game will go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So lots of there's lots of trivia tidbits about Monopoly. Um, oh sure, yeah. And I bet. So first, I'm gonna I'm gonna like read you the board. Basically, I'm gonna t- go around the board, tell you all of the colors and the names of the properties, it's just so okay. it's all in your head and you can kind of keep some stuff together. So the properties around the board, starting with Go, um, purple or asterisk after the year 2008 they turned these into brown properties so they these can either be dark purple or they can be brown is mediterranean avenue and baltic avenue then you have the reading railroad then light blue is oriental avenue vermont avenue and connecticut avenue then you're at the jail corner next is pink you have saint charles place states avenue and virginia avenue and the electric company is between St. Charles Place and States Avenue. Then there's the Pennsylvania Railroad. Then there's the Orange Squares, which are St. James Place, Tennessee Avenue, and New York Avenue. Then there's free parking. The red properties are Kentucky Avenue, Indiana Avenue, Illinois Avenue. Then you have the B&O Railroad. The yellow properties are Atlantic Avenue, Ventnor Avenue and Marvin Gardens and the waterworks is between Ventnor Avenue and Marvin Gardens. Then you have go to jail. Then you have the green properties which are Pacific Avenue, North Carolina Avenue and Pennsylvania Avenue. Then the short line railroad. Then finally dark blue is Park Place and Boardwalk. The three most landed on properties in the game of Monopoly are Illinois Avenue, Go and the B&O Railroad. Okay. That's um, interesting. Yeah. Illinois Avenue is 14 spaces from jail. Um, go, and, and also there is, um, there's either a chance or a community chess card that, that tells you to advance to, to Illinois Avenue. So that also kind of adds its own. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. There. Um, and for some reason, Go and the B&O Railroad end up, end up getting landed on just a lot. So statistically, just, just the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the character locked behind the bars is called Jake the Jailbird. And, oh, he's got a name. Yep, Jake the Jailbird. And then the police officer is named Officer Edgar Mallory. So you'll see what? him on some of the cards too. Yep. Okay. I don't know. He's got a name too. Huh. Um, a chance card is more likely to move players, more likely to, more likely than a community chess card to move players, often with lethal mm-hmm. consequences, especially because there is a card under chance that is called Advanced to Boardwalk. Um, community Chess was Atlantic City's forerunner of the United Way. So Community Chess cards are most likely to give you money. In Atlantic City, okay. Community Chess was located near Pacific Avenue, and the treasure chest symbol on the board was added in 1936. 
According to Hasbro, more than 6 billion little greenhouses and 2.25 billion red hotels have been constructed since 1935. Wow. That's amazing. Um, a fun little uh, anecdote. On Monday, okay. November 21st, 1961, four Pitt students sat down to play a game of Monopoly. And by the time they stopped, they had made a mark on the history of the iconic game that still stands to this day. The record for the longest continuous Monopoly marathon ever played was set at the University of Pittsburgh in 1961. Oh my God. When brothers from the Sigma Alpha Mu fraternity played for five days straight. <laughs> No. Ah, oh, why? <laughs> Three days in, the game ran into trouble um, because the Sigma Alpha Mu players had passed go so many times that their bank had run out of money. So naturally, the players wired Parker Brothers, who are the makers of Monopoly, to suggest a course of action. Upon receiving the message of the marathon gamers' distress, Parker Brothers president Robert Barton wired them back, quote, refuse to let bank fail, rushing one million Monopoly dollars to you by airmail. Carry on. According to the- Stop it. According to the- Pitt news story from 1961 the brothers loaned back some of their monopoly money to the bank so they could continue playing while the reserve funds were being sent to them um the one million dollars in monopoly money was picked up at the pittsburgh international airport by brinks security armored trucks and oh, driven to the fraternity God. house <laughs> and arriving we on that thursday night <laughs> by which times the brothers had broken the bank again and they finally decided to call it quits on friday so we there was a Vietnam War was going on during this time. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, really, guys? This is what a million dollars in monopoly I, money delivered to the University of Pittsburgh in a Brinks armored truck. Oh, my it's a feel God. good story. No, it's it's cute, but <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, a couple more Monopoly superlatives. The most people playing Monopoly at a single venue was 733 people in Tulsa, Oklahoma in January 2017. They weren't all playing the same board, but they were okay. in a room <laughs> playing Monopoly. 733 playing. people. Okay. Um, most people playing Monopoly at multiple venues. There were 2,918 people at 21 locations worldwide and on a website organized by Hasbro in August 2008. So that's the most people playing Monopoly at a multiple venues. Wow. And then the most expensive version of Monopoly, an exclusive $2 million Monopoly set, what? was created by the jeweler Sydney Mobile in San Francisco in 1988. The board was made from 23 karat gold. Rubies and sapphires topped the chimneys of the solid gold houses and hotels, and the dice had 42 full cut diamonds for their pips. Um, That's out of control. Yeah. It would be really cool to see, I guess. <laughs> I don't know who yeah, has oh, it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know who has it. <laughs> um, if anybody should have it, it should be the Strong Museum of Play, I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, Monopoly yeah. was inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame in 1998. It was a member of the inaugural class. And the other inductees that year were Barbie, Crayola Crayons, Erector Set, Etch-A-Sketch, Frisbee, Lego, Marbles, Play-Doh, the Teddy Bear, and Tinker Toy. Yeah, so, so they really got a lot in that first yeah, year. Because usually year, it's only like four or five, I think. Yeah, or even sometimes less. it's two or, th two or three at this point. But yeah, 1998, mm -hmm. Monopoly was part of the first um, inaugural class into the National Toy Hall of Fame, which is housed at the Strong Museum. Um, a few metaphors that use Monopoly terms. Um, Rich Uncle Pennybags is also known as Mr. Monopoly. He's the game's mascot character. People use the term get out of jail free card, which is a popular metaphor for something that will get you out of an undesired situation. 
Monopoly money is a derisive term that's used to refer to money that's not really worth anything. Um, it can also allude to colorful currency notes used in some countries. And do not pass go, do not collect $200 is a phrase used in Monopoly that has become widely used in popular culture, describing an action forced mm-hmm. upon a person that has only negative results. Um, so it's kind of like a, it's a kind of like highly unfavorable, a harsh cliche, like you're stuck. Yeah. And finally, there was a Monopoly game show on TV that ran during the summer of 1990 on ABC. Um you can find episodes of it on YouTube. It the theme song alone is wild. Like it's like they spell out Monopoly in the theme song, and like when they say the letter O, it's this. It's like weirdly like pornographic. She's they're like M O N O P. It's really it's really weird and bad. Um, I hate it. I hate. I hate it. it. <laughs> I did not make it the, the the thinking music for this game. Um, thank you, thank you for that. Yeah. So <laughs> that only ran for like the summer on ABC in, in, in 1990. But in 2015, the game show Monopoly Millionaires Club aired in syndication and was hosted by comedian Billy Gardell. Um, that second one was kind of less like the actual gameplay of Monopoly, but it used a lot of the same themes from the game. And that ran for a couple mm. of seasons. So did a little better. Oh, okay. But for more information on the game of Monopoly, you should check out Phil Orbane's book, Monopoly, the world's most famous game and how it got that way. Very interesting stuff. Um, also, I was going to mention the McDonald's Monopoly game uh, show. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk yeah. about that? I would love to. So uh, between 1987 and 2001, McDonald's had the Monopoly, you know, game like, you know, mm-hmm. sweepstakes where you would take a piece of, you know, like they had them on the, the fries. There were these little like sticky tabs that you would pull off and you could um take a the game board they would mcdonald's would like hand out the game boards which is just Mm -hmm. like um like a placemat basically with the board on it and ideally you could you know collect all the pieces and if you collected all the pieces from certain properties then you could win a car or a million dollars or whatever or like you know a sandwich or you know a free coke or whatever Um, but as it turns out, between 1987 and 2001, there was not a single legitimate winner oh, of the that? sweepstakes. Um, and there was a huge FBI investigation, and there is a documentary series. There's six episodes, I believe, on HBO. It's called McMillions. Mm-hmm. And there's also an accompanying podcast called like HBO's McMillions uh-huh. or something like that. I'm sure you could find it. But it is, Steve and I watched it. Like they would release it once a week, like every Tuesday at like 10 p.m. or mm-hmm. whatever. It was, it's amazing. It's an amazing documentary. It's so entertaining. It's really like, it grips you. One of the FBI, um, one of the FBI guys, his name is Doug Matthews, who was like one of the, like, he was like the young, like, you know, loose cannon who was like assigned to this project. And he's hilarious. Like they interview him. He is a superstar, this guy. He's hysterical. Um, so yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, HBO's McMillions, it's just one of the best. And it's the, like, I remember hearing that after 2001, it was like no longer a thing that there was some kind of like weirdness about it, but I had no idea until we watched this documentary and it's like mind blowing how (laughs) deep it went and how many people were involved and how long it took the FBI and McDonald's to like figure out that someone was scamming the system. Yeah. It was so cool. So it's very good. I highly recommend. Definitely. (laughs) 
So it's time for my quiz. And I kind of hope okay. you're paying attention to some of the stuff I talked about because this quiz is called oh, no. Advance to Go Collect $200. This is a quiz where some or all of each answer can also be found within the name of a property on a standard American Monopoly board. Okay. Okay. Question one. Of Jesus's 12 apostles, two of his disciples had the same given name, though their qualifiers weren't quite equal. What name did they share? Question two. What ocean contains about 50.1% of the world's oceanic water? Question three. The busiest railway station in the Western Hemisphere, now currently entirely underground, began life as a Beaux-Arts masterpiece in 1910. The station was named for what original tenant and builder, who, by the late 19th century, was the largest corporation in the world? Question four. What U.S. state claims the nicknames the Land of Steady Habits and the Nutmeg State? Question five. Which children's television workshop program from the 1970s starred actors, including Morgan Freeman and Rita Moreno, performing sketch comedy? Hit segments included The Adventures of Letterman, Giggles Goggles, and The Short Circus Band. Question six. I heard it through the grapevine. Which Motown legend and advocate of carnal therapy was fatally shot by his father in 1984, one day before his 45th birthday? Question seven. Which body of water surrounds large islands, Crete, Rhodes, Cyprus, and Malta, as well as the Balearic Islands? Question eight. Time for fun with idioms. A person who cries insincerely in order to manipulate others is said to turn on the what? Question nine. Though traditionally held on the first Saturday in May, which horse race has been preemptively rescheduled for Saturday, September 5th, thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic? And finally, question 10. Do the math. Take the title of a five-season-long HBO American period crime drama focused on Enoch Thompson and subtract a Fox American musical drama about the Lion family. What do you have? Give you about a minute to think, and then we'll be back with your answers. Okay. I'm feeling okay about this. All right. I'm feeling okay about this. Okay. 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 All right. All right. Question one. Of Jesus's 12 apostles, two of his disciples had the same given name, though their qualifiers weren't quite equal. What name did they share? Um, so, okay. There's Peter and Simon Peter. 
who were two different guys, but you're, the face you're making is not right. So I got Matthew, Mark, Luke, <laughs> John, <laughs> uh, Peter, Paul. Um, you got Judas. Am I at 12 yet? Um, their qualifiers were not equal. Hmm. Is it Paul? It is not. Uh, what is it? This is St. James. You have St. Oh. James the Great and St. James the Less. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, man. Ah. Uh, so St. James the Great is buried in Santiago de Compostela Cathedral in Spain, and St. James the Less is buried in the Cathedral of St. James in Jerusalem. Or maybe the Church of the Holy Apostles in Rome. Unclear. You Unclear. Know, bones got moved around a lot. It's it was a long but time yeah, ago. Two of his two of his apostles were both named James. And huh. unfortunately one of them that. was named James the Less. <laughs> he wasn't as good. Yeah, he wasn't Poor as guy. good as James the Great. <laughs> All right. Question two. What ocean contains about fifty point one percent of the world's oceanic water? I'm gonna say the Atlantic. The answer is the Pacific. Is the Pacific? <laughs> Damn it! I was so <laughs> so I had some of these that I wrote in here oh were like God gonna be to- like could be toss-ups based on the yeah names of things in monopoly because um, i know atlantic they, and pacific are on the board atlantic is on the board yeah yes so that's true just making sure um, just making sure yep the pacific is the largest and deepest of the earth's oceanic divisions the pacific ocean covers about 46 percent of earth's water surface and about one-third of its total surface area making it larger than all of the earth's land area combined and for more on oceans and seas please check out episode 25 take to the sea all right question three the busiest railway station in the western hemisphere now currently entirely underground began life as a beaux-arts masterpiece in 1910 the station was named for what original tenant and builder who by the late 19th century was the largest corporation in the world is this pennsylvania station it is and who were they named for the state i don't know <laughs> pennsylvania the Pennsylvania Railroad. The Pennsylvania the- Railroad. Yeah. All of the answers are names of a of a square on the Monopoly board. I know that, but, like, <laughs> but I, I thought this was like an expansion of something else that I wasn't aware of. That's the all. The busiest railway station in the Western Hemisphere is Penn Station in New York City. Um, so the Pennsylvania Railroad's corporate symbol was the Keystone, and which was also the symbol of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, um, with the letters PPR in, intertwined inside. So the Pennsylvania Railroad was established in 1846 and headquartered in, of all places, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, over the years, it acquired, merged, or owned part of at least 800 other rail lines and companies. Um, in 1968, the Pennsylvania Railroad absorbed its chief rival, New York Central Railroad, and the railroad eventually went by the name of Penn Central Transportation Company. Due to a series of unfortunate events and declining revenues and passenger traffic thanks to automobiles and airplanes, Penn Central filed for bankruptcy protection in 1970, with passenger operations being transferred to Amtrak. The rest of it went to Conrail and later was divided between Norfolk Southern and CSX. Um, but Penn Station, it was this like beautiful, ornate railway station that was essentially demolished above ground starting in the 1960s. Um, they claimed it was too expensive to maintain. Um, and the controversy over the demolition of this well-known landmark and it, its just terrible replacement is often cited yeah. as a catalyst for architectural preservation in the United States. 
Yeah. yeah the 60s you, were a terrible time. If you look at like pictures of old Penn Station, like it was gorgeous. Like it's like it looks basically it looks like a French, like a beautiful French railway station. And yeah, not so much anymore. And we tore it down. Yep. So there's that. All right. Question four. What U.S. state claims the nicknames the Land of Steady Habits and the Nutmeg State? Okay. The Land of Steady Habits and the Nutmeg State. I'm I'm torn. I'm torn between three. Okay. I'm torn between Illinois, Indiana, and Vermont. And Vermont, what? I'll tell you that none Just of say. those are it. <laughs> no, damn it! No! <laughs> All right, whoa, 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 whoa. All right, let me think. They do have um, they do have another nickname, which they're probably better known as. I can give that one to you if you if you is need it. it. Show me state. No, uh, the 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 nickname that this state is probably better known as is the Constitution State. Oh, that's not helping me. <laughs> is it Maryland? <laughs> I don't know anything about the states. <laughs> What is it? Just tell me. It's Connecticut. Oh, Connecticut. Well, everyone forgets about Connecticut. Everybody does forget What's about in Connecticut? Connecticut. You're right. You're, no, you're absolutely right. Right? Um, like, name one thing about Connecticut. Well, that isn't what was previously said. Well, so, so what's interesting, though, is their, like, their official name is the Constitution State, but it probably doesn't have anything to do with the actual U.S. Constitution from 1789, which is kind of what oh. I thought. Um, it's yeah. based on its colonial constitution of 1638 to 1639, which was the first in America and possibly the world. So that's where they got their nickname from, is oh. like they were the first um, like colony to have a constitution. And well, that's kind of cool. That's why they're the constitutional state. All right. Well, I'll give them that, I guess. All right. Question five. Which children's television workshop program from the 1970s starred actors including Morgan Freeman and Rita Moreno performing sketch comedy for kids? Hit segments included The Adventures of Letterman, Giggles Goggles, and Short Circus Band. Well, it's it's not Shining Time Station, which is what was my original mm-hmm. thought. No, you're shaking your head at me. Okay. Um... 1970s children's television show with celebrities that isn't Sesame Street? That's a square on the Monopoly board. That's a square on the Monopoly board. Your dad knows. Oh, yeah, he's yelling. Hey, Dave. (laughs) Hey, Dave. Um... Uh, the only other 1970s television show I can think of is Captain Kangaroo, which is not, Kangaroo is not something on the board. Um, also that's very regional. I think Captain Kangaroo, I think was not (laughs) countrywide. It could have been been on PB, like a PBS thing. You like a syndication thing? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What is the, what is it? It's the electric company. The electric company. Oh my God. I forgot completely about that yeah. show. Because also we didn't really watch it. It was gone by no, the time we didn't we watch around, it. But our like parents knew Electric yeah. Company. Um yeah, apparently Bill Cosby was a cast member. Like there were there wow. were like a lot of like people who ha- major who people were famous then or have gone on to become very famous. Um that were that were part of that children's television workshop show. It aired on PBS huh. from 1971 to 1977. Huh. What a thing. All right. Question six. 
I heard it through the grapevine, which Motown legend and advocate of carnal therapy was fatally shot by his father in 1984, one day before his 45th birthday. That's Marvin Gaye. It is Marvin Gaye. Yes. Um, one of his final televised appearances was on February 13th, 1983, when he sang the Star Spangled Banner at the NBA All-Star Game at the Forum in Inglewood, yes. California. And when VH1 launched... On January 1st, 1985, Gay's 1983 rendition of the National Anthem was the very first video that they aired. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. All right. Question seven. Back to geography and water. Sorry. Um, Which body of water surrounds large islands, Crete, Rhodes, Cyprus, and Malta, as well as the Balearic Islands? Is that the Mediterranean Sea? Yes. Yes. Correct. Okay. Um, the Balearic Islands are an archipelago of Spain in the Western Mediterranean near the eastern coast of the Iberian Peninsula. The four largest Balearic Islands are Majorca, Menorca, Ibiza, and Formentera. Formentera. <laughs> Formentera. Formentera. Yeah. All right. Question eight. Time for fun with idioms. A person who cries insincerely in order to manipulate others is said to turn on What? The waterworks. Yes. Yes. Yep. That's all I had on that. Uh, (laughs) Question nine. Though traditionally held on the first Saturday in May, which horse race has been preemptively rescheduled for Saturday, September 5th, thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic? Okay. That is the... It's in my head. I got it. Don't worry. I got this. Our friend Nicole is yelling at us now. Yes, Nicole is yelling at us. I'm sorry, Nicole. I'm just going to relax my brain. I'm just going to let it float yeah. right in. Here it comes. The first Saturday in May, the horse race. Yes. People wear funny, if, uh, fun hats for uh-huh. it. Yes. This is the... <laughs> this is... Ooh, it's... um, it's. Mm, I'm going to put on my hat and drink some tea and go to uh, this. All I can think of is the Belmont Stakes, which is not it. Um, It's the... (laughs) Just hold on, okay? (laughs) Just let me... Just let... Just everyone shut up and let me just think for a second. Uh, (laughs) Give me a first letter. (laughs) K. (laughs) K? What the? <laughs> Why can't I think of it? Why can't I think of it? What's wrong with me? My brain is atrophied in in pure and perfect solitude. <laughs> it's the it's the KY jelly race for the cure. <laughs> What does it just tell me? It's the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> Kentucky Derby, you idiot! What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? It's so stupid. It's the Kentucky fucking Derby! <laughs> stupid bitch! <laughs> That's it. <laughs> It's over for me. I've never been good at trivia. Why does anyone let me do anything? <laughs> Just replace me with something else, like a like a plant. 
Derby is also <laughs> called the Run for the Roses. <laughs> Stemming from the blanket of roses that's draped over no, the winter. No. And the Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky Derby is traditionally the first leg of the American Triple Crown. Oh followed by God. the Preakness Stakes and then the Belmont Stakes. Uh, yeah, I got that. I got I, Belmont. You did get the Belmont idiot. Stakes. I'm, su- <laughs> I'm proud of you. I'm surprised. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> And then, (laughs) question 10. (sighs) Do the math. Take the title of a five-season-long HBO American period crime drama focused on Enoch Thompson and subtract a Fox American musical drama about the Lion family. What do you have? Okay, so I have Empire is the second one, right? Mm -hmm. And the first one is The Wire? No, not The Wire. Wait. So if it's the wire, it's not the wire. It's not the wire. Damn it. Is it HBO American period crime drama in in New Jersey focused on Enoch Thompson during prohibition? Is it, oh, oh, yes. Um, uh, oh, boardwalk. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Boardwalk Empire minus Empire equals Boardwalk. It's just Boardwalk. Right. Yes. <laughs> boardwalk Empire is a period. I did it. He did I it. I got three. Boardwalk Empire is a period drama focusing on Enoch Nucky Thompson based on the historical Enoch L. Johnson, a political figure who rises to prominence and controls Atlantic City, New Jersey during Prohibition. Empire centers on the fictional hip hop music and entertainment company Empire Entertainment and the drama among the members and founders of the family as they fight for control of it. (laughs) And that's it. That's the quiz. That's it. That's it, everyone. (laughs) If you don't want to listen anymore, that's fine. I get it. I get why. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh, man. It's all right. It's okay. Hey, hey, we're all we're all working through all this together. We're all very stressed. Just because you couldn't remember. (laughs) Kentucky Derby. (laughs) Kentucky fucking Derby. Doesn't, Doesn't mean that you're not good at trivia. We're just, we're all very stressed out right now. That's true. We're all very stressed out right now. Anyway, I hope you all enjoyed <laughs> today's episode. <laughs> I hope you're all doing well uh, and that um, you are uh, hopefully finding some small points of joy uh, throughout your day, whether you're stuck at home by yourself or with uh, a spouse or a partner and maybe with children as well. Um, we are here for you and we feel for you and we understand that this is weird for everybody, literally everyone on this planet. Yes. So thank you for uh, listening to us. <laughs> thanks for oh, letting no. us join you in your home. So yes, thanks very much, everybody. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. We'll get you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And now, 
for Steve's Recipe Corner. Hi. I made this. It was good. Uh, it's clotted cream, and you put it on a scone that sometimes you have to use whole wheat flour to make because the store is not a regular flour. So here it is. You take... Uh, you got you got to have an Instant Pot. Do you have an Instant Pot? I don't know who I'm talking to. You got to have an Instant Pot. You put the uh, whole, like, heavy cream... The recipe says not ultra-pasteurized, regular pasteurized heavy cream in the Instant Pot. You use the yogurt setting and you make it boil. And once it goes on boil, then you hit keep warm for, like... We did, like, nine hours. And then you take it out and then you put it in the fridge and let it sit overnight... And then you skim off the like solidified sort of top layer, and that's the clotted cream, and it's great. And that was Steve's recipe corner.